This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we speak with Dan Bernoski, who is in a very competitive race for state representative in the 28th Legislative District. This was recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, October 13th. Dan Bernoski is a West Pierce County firefighter. He also holds a Master's of Public Administration from the University of Washington. He is running for representative in position two in the 28th LD. This is a district that includes Lakewood and parts of Tacoma. Uh, Dan, welcome. It's it's, uh, so good to see you. Uh, Thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is absolutely all mine. So look, um, you are a firefighter, as I mentioned. I think an appropriate place to start this conversation is by talking about this year's record wildfire season. What are your thoughts there? Um, how do you feel we should be looking at this problem going forward? I, I, I hate to use this term, but are we looking at the new normal? Yeah. So, you know, we have a, a very educated audience here, a, a smart audience, and I think they get that, unfortunately, yes, this is the new normal, uh, you know, decades of inaction on climate policy in ways that we haven't addressed climate change has really led us to where we are now. We're having record breaking wildfires. We're spending uh, more money than we ever have on suppression efforts and uh, making sure we have enough personnel to put the fires out. But, you know, because we failed to address the initial issue, climate change, um, you know, we can only uh, invest so much money into suppression before uh, it gets uh, out of hand. And and I think it has gotten out of hand several times this year. Uh, you know, we've been choked out by smoke um, and, you know, not because of, uh, you know, failures of investments in Washington State in particular, but because uh, we as a society, we as a, as a globe have really failed to address this climate change issue. So uh, it is going to be the new normal. It is the new normal. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to deal with it as it comes. Um, but uh, that just makes the climate crisis all that much more. Uh, uh, it, it just gives us the, the imperative to act now sooner rather than later to make sure that we address this issue um, to try to reverse some of the effects that we've been seeing uh, because of human-made climate change. Well, one of the effects that you talk about in addressing the climate crisis is you say you would like to address the disparities between how climate change impacts people differently depending on their economic status. And I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and talk about how that's playing out in the 28th. And then also in your mind, what can be done there? Yeah. So I think, you know, the disparities between uh, those most affected by climate change and those most affected by COVID and those most affected by their socioeconomic status um, is only exacerbated by this particular issue. So, you know, what are we going to do? So we're going to have to, uh, you know, really focus on a lot of those inequities and, you know, where people are being forced to live because of, you know, lack of affordable housing closer to cities. You know, people are being uh, in this state, in addition to uh, California and Oregon, people are being forced to move uh, further out into the wilderness where, you know, those urban interface areas where, uh, you know, these uh, fires are just a, a lot more closer to home, literally. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that we have to, to address is, you know, I, I think, you know, that that lack of affordable housing piece has a direct correlation to disparities by those affected by climate change, wildfires, COVID. It all it all intermingles. It's all it's all inclusive. It all affects one another. And, you know, you know, we have to 
uh, look at this very holistically to make sure that, that we address a lot of these inequities that people are unfortunately facing. You mentioned housing, and I want to circle back on that in a second, but you also mentioned COVID and experts are predicting that we may be heading into another wave here uh, as we get into fall and winter. You're a first responder. What have we learned and, and what do you think needs to happen going forward? Yeah. So, you know, we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot about how the virus is transmitted. Um, You know, when you when we first were dealing with COVID, you would see a lot of, um, uh, you know, disinfecting and and wiping down of of tables and items and and all that kind of stuff. And that's very important. But what we've learned is that this is a, a respiratory disease that's transmitted via droplets, via people being in close contact. And this issue is going to, uh, again, you know, we're, we're definitely going to see a second wave. And the reason we're going to see a second wave is because, you know, the weather is getting colder. We're going to be forced indoors. Um, you know, it's going to be really difficult, especially during the holidays, to be able to interact with family that we haven't seen for a long time uh, and, and do so safely. So that's going to be a huge challenge. So, you know, the indoor issue is going to be a huge problem. And, uh, you know, that gets into the whole uh, circulation, air circulation, making sure we, we have good ventilation within buildings. Um, you know, what else have we, uh, you know, what, what, what can we do to help address this? Well, you know, we can continue to, to be socially distant, but that's going to be difficult while we're indoors. But, you know, mask wearing is very important. Uh, you know, working at the fire station for 24 hours on 24 hour shifts. I work in close proximity to a lot of firefighters that are out there uh, still dealing with the public who is sick. And, and our best protection for ourselves is, is mask wearing. And, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, we've been you know, since the outbreak, we haven't had a whole lot of folks test positive. Um, but, you know, that's also uh, an important point that I'd like to also like to tag on to that. You know, we, we just one profession are being forced in a clo- close proximity by virtue of what we do uh, with other people. Um, I'd like everyone to keep in mind that uh, folks working uh, nursing homes, folks that work in adult family homes, folks that work in assisted living, hospitals, et cetera, you know, they, by virtue of their profession, have to be clo- within cro- close proximity to, to people that might or might not be sick. So, you know, we need to keep that in mind. And, and those are some of the best practices that I think we can t- continue to do to move forward as we're forced to move back indoors uh, as the weather turns a lot colder. You're talking about essential workers there, and and you know we can touch on how the uh, the economy of the 28th has been impacted by the pandemic, but specifically because you're a union member, and a lot of the the you know the the jobs that you just mentioned are union jobs. You're a strong union supporter. I wonder if maybe you could just kind of frame it around the importance of unions in the recovery, in in bringing back and and maintaining living wage jobs. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, I, I, I believe this wholeheartedly and, and because I live and breathe it. Um, unions and organized labor are the single best bulwark for maintaining living wages in the middle class in the United States of America. And I'm really proud of the work that unions across this country, country have done, whether it's the International Association of Firefighters, whether it's the International Longshore Workers Union, whether it's SEIU, UFCW, we've made uh, leaps and bounds in doing the research and providing as much adequate uh, personal protective equipment as we possibly could to essential workers. And that was entirely on labor and labor compelling the employer, labor doing the research and uh, acquiring the PPE that's needed. So that way we can go out and do that essential work and stay as safe as we possibly can. 
And, uh, you know, the, and another, you know, uh, thing I'd like to tag onto that is, you know, as we move forward, we need to make sure that if a worker does come down with COVID uh, because of something they were exposed to on the job, that they're protected, that they have access to, to medical care, that they can uh, be taken care of. So that way they can get healthy and get back to work as quickly as possible. It's, uh, it's going to be a real challenge, but organized labor really is on the forefront of taking care of their own people and people that are unorganized for that matter. You don't have to be a dues-paying member to enjoy the benefits of what you know unions are fighting for. Hey, we're all on the same team. We all understand the value of work, and uh, we're just in it to, to make sure that you can earn a living wage and do so safely, um, regardless of whether or not you're a union member. So, yeah, I'm real proud of that. I'll read a quote from your website. You say, quote, uh, you stand in solidarity with workers and consumers to create a healthcare system that keeps us all safe and healthy, directly related. Um, first of all, I'd ask you, how, how has the pandemic changed the conversation around healthcare? And then how do you see a pathway to affordable healthcare for Washingtonians? Yeah. So, you know, so many people lost their jobs through no fault of their own because of COVID. They had to you know, whether they, you work in a restaurant or whether you work in a movie theater or whether you're in a, a different place by virtue of what you did for a living, you had to be laid off. There is no safe way for you to come to work. Uh, so, you know, and, and it was good science behind it. I mean, you know, we had to, you know, put a pause on certain industries and shut down the economy for a period of time. So that way we could really get a lid on the coronavirus outbreak. So, when folks, you know, have to get laid off or they have to quit through no fault of their own, a lot of folks that relied on employer-based health care, unfortunately, lost access to that particular health care. So, you know, this is, again, you know, you're, you're seeing a certain issue with employer-based health care that can be problematic when, you know, you literally cannot go out and find another job right now. So what do you do for health care? We got to take care of those people. We need to make sure that uh, they have that access to health care. Uh, and, and we need we have we bear the responsibility in, in helping them uh, get that access to health care. So when they do are able to get back to work, um, you know, they don't fall behind because they couldn't uh, see the dentist, couldn't see the doctor, fill prescriptions, all the kinds of, you know, routine medical procedures that we take for granted when we're working. You know, we need to make sure that, that they have access to that health care under the, those circumstances. And, and yeah, that's going to be a real challenge. You know, we're going to have to expand healthcare for a lot more people um, because the, the virus isn't going away anytime soon. A lot of people are going to be out of work for some time to come uh, because, the, you know, the vaccines, you know, probably not going to come out till 2021, summer, fall 2021. So that's a long time from now. And then, you know, is everybody going to have access to that vaccine? You know, there's going to be a lot of challenges in place. So in the meantime, in the interim, Certainly, everybody should have access to health care. Nobody should be about health care right now. I'll, I'll just ask you, because I think it's important, how does your vision there differ from that of your opponent? So uh, I know from what little I've, I've heard from my opponent, uh, you know, he uh, wants to rely on a quote unquote market based solution. Um, is there a specific policy there in place? I don't know. I haven't heard it. Um, but, you know, what where I differ is. Uh, you know, there's a task force in place that Washington State Legislature is working to, again, expand access to health care, make sure that the most people have the most amount of health care for the least amount of cost. And when it comes to researching a specific policy, there's some great policy experts that are coming up some good ideas. And I'm fully supportive of what the task force uh, has in mind versus a quote unquote market based solution without any specifics. So, um I, I'm just I looking forward to, to, to working in the legislature. And again, 
making sure that people that don't have access to healthcare now gain that access because we can't let them fall behind. I mentioned that we would talk about housing, and I do want to get your thoughts briefly. And unfortunately, we're we're so short on time, and there's so many questions that I would love to get to. But you know, the affordable housing is a challenge in pretty much every corner of the, of the state. Um, maybe talk just briefly about how it's presenting in the 28th, how you'd mm-hmm. like to approach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So briefly, uh, we need to create more housing. Uh, there absolutely is a housing shortage in the region, up and down the I-5 corridor, and certainly here in the 28th. And where I differ from my opponent is, uh, he disagrees with me. He says that there isn't a, a problem with uh, housing stock in the first hand, uh, in the first place and access to that affordable housing. I completely disagree. We need more housing. We need more affordable housing. Uh, you know, we need to come up with, again, work with stakeholders to come up with more creative solutions so that way people have an affordable roof over their head. Um, because again, you know, this ties into all the other problems I mentioned before, you know, climate change, wildland, urban interface, it's all interconnected. We absolutely need to create more housing. And I think there's some good policies that are being looked at that I'm, that I'm willing to work with stakeholders on to, to get us there. I'm going to ask you one last question because I think it's important and it's very specific to you as somebody who served in the National Guard. Uh, you say you would like to expand mental health support for service members. Can you talk about the need here in your district? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a unique situation that happened recently uh, when everything was shut down because of COVID, uh, the VA hospital at American Lake uh, was completely shut down. So I'm hearing from potential constituents how that gap, that that lack of service specific to the VA really left a lot of veterans, a lot of prior service members high and dry. They basically had to figure out their own needs medically specific to mental health care that literally was not there for them. So we need to put something in place to where if something like this happens again, because, you know, the VA has had issues, no question. Um, but if you're solely reliant on the VA, we need to be able to quickly fill in that gap because, you know, that that two week and that two week gap, one month gap in service uh, really had a detriment, a detrimental effect to veterans in my district. And I'm hearing about it now. So uh, again, expanded access, better access, uh, more mental health resources. So that way, when somebody that, that does rely on the Veterans Administration and all of a sudden can't, has an alternative immediately so they're not suffering. I will just ask you in closing, I know you've gotten some very high profile endorsements, including the governor, uh, Senator Patty Murray. Are there one or two others that are particularly meaningful for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, closer here to home, uh, Representative Christine Kilduff, who's not seeking re-election, you know, I'm very fortunate to have her support and her endorsement. I think she's done a lot of great work for our district, for our community, for our state, and uh, I couldn't be more more honored to have her endorsement. And I don't know that it necessarily needs to get more high profile profile than that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm super excited to, to follow in her footsteps. You know, she'll always be there as a, as a source of wisdom and guidance. And uh, I just look forward to uh, following in her footsteps and continue to do, do, continuing to do good things for our district um, because her guidance will always be there. Well, the 28th would be fortunate to have you, man, for sure. Um, what sort of help do you need with your campaign at this point? We're in the final stages. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm personally phone banking most days, but uh, my official campaign phone banks are uh, going to be on Saturdays between noon and three. Uh, hop on on. we got Representative Kilmer. Uh, we've got a bunch of local labor groups and local supportives, uh, 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 excuse me, supporting uh, 
yeah, locals and, and unions that are they're hopping on. So uh, the phone banking would be very appreciative. And, and then obviously uh, donations would be appreciated also. Uh, my opponent got a one-time independent expenditure from the realtors for $180,000, whereas I am seeking, uh, you know, support from grassroots donors, a, a myriad, a, a very diverse group of supporters between environmentalists, labor groups, uh, Native American communities, et cetera, you name it. And I'm really proud to have a diverse group of supporters. Excellent. What is your website so people can go and check it out? www.danbernoski.com. That's D-A-N-B-R-O-N-O-S-K-E. Dan, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks again to Dan Bernoski. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julianne Jievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Fysears. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.